You're listening to Beyond the Clinic, Living Well with Melanoma, a podcast produced by Aim at Melanoma, the foundation working to end melanoma. Hosted by the Director of Cancer Survivorship for Kaiser Permanente San Francisco, Dr. Raymond Liu. Beyond the Clinic features topics seldom discussed in the exam room, but essential to patients and their families during and beyond treatment. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an aim at melanoma endorsement. Cancer research discussed in this podcast is ongoing, so the data described here may change as research progresses. Hi, everyone. Welcome back again to AIM Melanoma's Beyond the Clinic podcast series. Each episode, we're talking about important topics that are often not covered in the clinic, but are vitally important to our melanoma community. Hello to our new podcast listeners, and thank you for those that are coming back to the series today. Today's topic is self-advocacy, and by the end of today's podcast, we're going to discover together how we can make changes to empower ourselves and our loved ones. Our special guest today is none other than mm-hmm. Melissa Wilson from our AIM Ask a Medical Expert program and the melanoma lead of the UPMC Hillman Cancer Center. Melissa, so glad to be speaking with you again today. Hi, Ray. It's so nice to be back with you, the dynamic duo of the two of us. <laughs> love it. Um, love it too. I, I love this topic. This is something that I'm super passionate about with my patients. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to talk about this today. Great. I think we should always start with defining um, what we're talking about. So how would you define self-advocacy? Um, so I truly feel that having being your own self-advocate really means to take a, a completely active role in your treatment plan and your diagnosis and really understanding your, in this case, melanoma, or in other cases, the, you know, diagnosis that you've been given. I think the more you understand, the better that you can participate with your physician team and also take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great definition. Um, I always want to also start by acknowledging how hard it is sometimes, mm-hmm. right? You're coming to a new system and you don't know the team, you don't, you don't know what's going on and, and you have to, you know, bring yourself to that, that environment. And that's, that can be scary. That can be hard. It can be extremely hard. And I think one of the things that um, I want to make sure that patients understand by the end of this podcast is really that being your own self-advocate is not a negative connotation. So we're not looking for you to be you know, defensive or argumentative, but to really be present at your appointments, to really ask questions if there are things that you don't understand to participate in the discussions that patient, you know, that the patient physician team have together, because truly, you know, I, we always use this analogy in our clinic that, you know, we're all in a boat together and Mm -hmm. I'm paddling and you're paddling and really you're the navigator, you know, we're just here to provide you with all of the information, but you're the one driving the boat. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're providing you with all the information that you need to be able to make good decisions because ultimately you're in charge of your care. Right. Why is, why do you think it's um, so important? I know there's been a lot of um, literature. There's a lot of actually studies about self-advocacy because it actually improves outcomes, I think. Right. It does. And, you know, 
I always am the person that tries not to get too technical on all of the things <laughs> right. that we talk about, just because, you know, I, I try to be the, I speak patient person in all mm -hmm. of this, but I think that, you know, we know that from many studies, patients who understand their diagnosis and who participate in their care by and large do better. And, you know, some people think that that's because they have a better understanding. So they're better on like, they're, they're more willing to get on board. Part of it is that you may understand, say, side effects that you didn't previously, you know, you didn't previously understand, like, well, why, what is it that if I get this rash, what does that mean for my diagnosis? If you understand that and then it's better reported, we get better reporting of adverse events. We are able to catch things a lot sooner. Um, but not only that, um, <clears throat> especially at community centers where you may not have a big academic program, um, really being a partnership with your physician and saying like, look, I found this clinical trial in California, Wisconsin, wherever the case may be, would this be appropriate for me? Um, you know, sometimes you help physicians find things that can help you in the end. So, you know, we are a very encouraging group of, of providers, I think, in this sitting. I love that word partnership that you used. And um, I also think there sometimes there are cultural elements to, to feeling that way, because I, I think a lot of times decades ago, the understanding was very, very physician centric, right? That, mm -hmm. you know, doctors always, you know, told people what to do. But I think we're in a really different era now, right? Where we do value that partnership. And we want to know, we want to know what what's happening with our loved ones and our, our caregivers and um, our community. I think, I think it's a partnership now. I do. I agree. I completely agree that that this is a partnership. And, you know, does that mean that you should come in and be like, I demand this treatment? No, be, but I think that 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 type of learning about your cancer and learning about the available things that are out there um, and engaging in that conversation because you might come in and say, I want this treatment because I read about it in this journal. And your physician should then be able to say, okay, um, I hear you, but this is why that doesn't work for you. Or this is why this isn't appropriate for you. And really that conversation, it builds trust in your relationship with your provider um, it educates you in that you learn, you know, why your physician team makes decisions the way that they do. And I think that that's an important part of care, really. Um, I, I love the work of the idea of teamwork. I actually do a lot of research in teamwork and, you know, I want to, because you used the word team and that was like, yeah. you know, really resonated with <laughs> me because it's, it's a partnership with your physician, but it's also a partnership with the whole care team. So how, how do you talk about that when, when people call you to, to ask about how to communicate with the team and advocate for themselves? So our, in our clinic, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to set, say set up like a hierarchy, but we have a very specific way that patients get a hold of us. So we have a clinical coordinating nurse that takes most of the calls and she triages them to different members of the team. And so what I always tell people is that we want to know if you have questions and that you shouldn't sit and wait between your appointments with things that, you know, you think are important because they are important. You know, even though you might think like, oh, you know, I had a fever for four days, but that can wait. That might be something that is extremely important in caring for your side effects. And so we always tell patients like, you know, anything that, you know, within reason, <laughs> if it's not urgent, don't call every day. But, um, you know, we always want you to call 
and talk to us. And, and that includes the nurse and that includes the physician assistants and nurse practitioners and the doctors. We're all, you know, you say team, but we all are a team. And it takes more than just a physician now to care for patients because, you know, this, I don't know the right word to use here, but like the, the care team and the care, um, hierarchy that is set up in most institutions, it's not just one physician and the patients. It's, you know, mid-level providers, uh, nutritionists, nurses, um, and everybody has their job that is involved and everyone has to be on the same page. And so, you know, that includes you. You as a patient are part of that team um, and you have responsibilities in this care team just as much as everyone else um, in terms of reporting how you're doing, right? Right, right. And I, it's it's just so amazing for me to discover how different components of the teams can work together. So you mm-hmm. mentioned nutritionists. Uh, we've seen I've seen some clinics with um, <clears throat> with health advocates that, from the community that work mm-hmm. with as as coordinators. Um, we've you know exercise um, you know like physical therapy for uh, in certain situations, support groups, right? So, yep. um, and there's also I guess the value of the community itself and coming together around a person, and that's part of the, that is part of the team that can help advocate. Exactly. And, and, you know, AIM has a really great peer connect program that, um, you know, folks can get involved in. And, and a lot of times those, those peer connections that you can make with someone that is in the same stage of illness or in the same, um, you know, psychosocial situation as you, um, I know with our peer connect program, they try to really match you as closely as possible with someone that's in the same situation as, as you are. And it's nice to have someone else who has been through it and understands and can kind of be your, you know, fairy godmother or father to kind of help you through your diagnosis and navigate some of these, especially even just self-advocacy things, you know, Mm -hmm. what do I do in this situation? Um, and that Peer Connect program is extremely beneficial to patients. I mean, it's it's a huge program now that that is doing great things. Yeah, Peer Connect is such an important program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I sometimes um, get asked by patients is, I don't even know what questions to ask. So mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things we just talked about is communication with your care team. But sometimes people are coming into this situation and they don't even know what to ask. So what do we? What do we? How do we counsel folks on that? Um, so again. <laughs> in AIM, there's me. So I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm that person who can kind of, you know, guide patients to these are the things that you need to know or ask about when you go to your appointment. And and a lot of patients that contact me, especially with new diagnoses, um, those are the kind of services that I provide to them. Like I say, okay, you know, these are the things that you need to know about your cancer and I'll give them resources on not only our website, but sometimes other websites that sort of um, help make decisions. We have like decision-making tools now on AIMS website with like stage three and stage four that are really helpful. You know, they actually have a checklist that says, you know, here are the things that you need to know going into your appointment. Um, But really, you know, I, I always try to tell patients to learn about their disease. You know, go, go on AIMS website. There are hundreds of pages of information that are disease specific, that are treatment specific, um, ask questions. I, um, one of the things when we see new patients in our actual clinical practice, we tell them, get a notebook, write your questions down. Cause you're not going to remember them a month from now trying to, you know, talk about things that you thought at 
two in the morning when you woke up and right. were like, oh, I forgot to ask that question, mm -hmm. jot it down in your notebook. Um, it's okay to get second opinions. I always try to stress that that, that is, is something that is important, especially if you are someone who lives in a community setting that doesn't have, you know, a melanoma specific center or a, you know, whatever your cancer is specific center, um, getting a second opinion, especially in complicated situations is always helpful because not only do you get another fresh perspective on your case, um, and sometimes it reinforces what you've already been told, but sometimes it gives a fresh perspective of, of your situation. Um, and then just making sure that, you know, you, when you're looking for medical information that you get it from reliable sources. And if you have trouble or, you know, patients have trouble finding reliable sources of information that the care team can really help provide those or aim or, you know, a resource that specializes in that. that those are all really great tips. And I think it's, it really speaks to this idea of like, how do we get that information we we need? Um, and it sounds like AIM has a lot of those resources, not just mm -hmm. the Peer Connect program, but also, uh, again, disease-specific information. Um, what do you what do you think about, you, you mentioned something about, you know, the second opinions. And one of the things I, I realized too in my practice is sometimes people think the second opinion might be with medical oncologists, but maybe the question's about surgery. Like for example, in melanoma, right? What kind of surgery should I get? Mm -hmm. Should I have a sentinel lymph node dissection? So knowing sort of what the questions are can help, help you sometimes direct where the second opinion should be too, right? Exactly. Um, you know, we run into those kinds of things all the time. You know, patients will come and they'll say, I have a melanoma on my face and I saw a general surgeon and, you know, he wants to do this disfiguring surgery. Is that really appropriate? And, you know, our answer is sure. It, it certainly is appropriate, but we could also, you know, access a plastic surgeon and see what their surgical plan mm -hmm. can be. And you may be more comfortable with that, you know, and, and there's always room in different situations for, um, for innovation. And, you know, the only way to move the disease process forward is to try new things. And sometimes those things aren't available at the community center down the street or your academic center, even in your own town. Um, and that's where researching <clears throat> melanoma specific or disease specific providers can be extremely important. And that also goes into the, you know, self-advocacy role because, you know, doing the research to find out who the best provider near you is, um, is, is part of your job as a patient being your own self-advocate or being a family member, caregiver that is advocating for, you know, a, a particular loved one. Um, yeah, so so that information is so important. Um, you know, we had another podcast with with uh, Dr. Dizon. We we talked about like finding the right information too on the internet because the internet is a, a can be a welcoming place. Um, uh, for example, the the AML and resources, but there it could also be a scary place when we're trying to branch out and we're reading about things. So how do you, how, what what's your guidance when people call you about about that? Oh, it's hard. So, you know, organizations or websites that have ORG at the end of their, you know, web address mm -hmm. in my personal, you know, searching have had information that is usually peer validated or that has come from a panel of, you know, experts. And so really, really looking for not just 
Google melanoma, where do I find the best sentinel node doctor, isn't always going to get you the right answer. And so, you know, we always encourage our patients to to ask us for resources, to ask their care team um, for resources, um, because we can direct you to the places that are, in fact, peer-reviewed. Um, you can find a lot of really scary information out there on the internet, which I know I'm sure was covered extensively in your podcast. Um, Every physician team is a little bit different and some places may not feel comfortable, you know, extending, this is where I think you should find your, your data. Um, And if that's the case, certainly that's another reason to reach out to organizations like aim at melanoma, um, you know, and, and the other organizations that support your disease process. Yeah, well, there's a free service from our National Society for Oncology um, called, uh, it's called cancer.net. And sometimes I refer mm-hmm. patients to that one. Um, they actually have a page on self-advocacy too. So <laughs> Do they? That's I, awesome. I looked it up. I just looked it up before the podcast <laughs> and said, oh, they have, have one on self-advocacy. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about like, because my personality is a little bit, um, I'm a little bit shyer, especially if I'm in the doctor's office. And I think listeners have heard about my, my own caregiving experience um, when my mother had cancer. And and so I was always a little bit reluctant, even as a physician myself, to sort of advocate. Uh, and because uh, I, I just, I was, you know, that's how culturally I was brought up, you know. Um, how, how do you, does, do people who are just naturally shy or naturally sort of reluctant to try, do that because that's just how we are? We're, that's our, how we're wired. Yeah. How, do, how do we come out of our shells and really do that? Ugh. Well, that's a really hard question because it goes into, you know, <laughs> that's what we I like to ask here. <laughs> gosh, come on. So I think, I think it's difficult when, when folks are shy because they, you know, they, or, or you mentioned culturally, you know, some people would feel like they were offending their care team if they mm. asked questions and, um, and obviously there is a polite way to do that and a very unpolite way to do that. And I think, you know, making sure that you, f- how would you want someone to advocate for you is something that's always important to think about. Like if I were in a situation where I was sitting across from a care team and I didn't understand what they were saying, you know, we always tell people bring, bring a buddy. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you don't feel comfortable or you are a little bit more shy to ask questions and and to advocate, you know, for yourself in terms of gaining knowledge, bring somebody who isn't, you know, because, for example, in my own family relationship, you know, as you probably can tell, I'm the boisterous one that doesn't have any problem <laughs> asking questions. My husband, on the other hand, is extremely quiet. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, even though he's very friendly and extroverted in a situation like that, he asks zero questions. Like he sits across from the physician and is like, okay, yes, great. And I'm like, well, I have a question. So <laughs> I'm his person. You know, I go to his appointments with him for the reason of I'm going to ask questions for him. And I serve that role in a lot of the relationships in my family because of I feel comfortable doing that. And I think my advice to people that may be a little bit shy is find a find a friend or loved one or family member who isn't who isn't afraid <laughs> to ask questions because they can be your advocate because you can say to them these are the things that I want to know do you feel comfortable asking for me and that's okay you know we don't you know we want you to know the information another avenue that might be kind of helpful would be something like 
can I email you questions if I have them? Because sometimes it's easier to be a little bit more direct in writing than it is in person. And so, you know, there's oftentimes where in you know my experience with patients, you'll have folks that will be really great on email and ask really engaging mm-hmm. questions. But then when you go to talk to them, they freeze up. And so I, you know, I think one of the things and and unfortunately everyone can't be my patient, but one of the things is you kind of get a gauge for that when you're treating someone. Um, if they don't ask a lot of questions, a lot of times at the end of our visit, I'll say, you know, if you feel more comfortable talking about these things, here's my email address. You can, you know, reach out an email or um, we have a behavioral health team that would be helpful, to, you know, to talk to, or if you have questions, we have a nursing team. Sometimes it's like person specific in mm-hmm. some cases, um, you know, so there's lots of tools that you can use, but I love the bring a buddy system because then everything gets answered in real time. And I love, I love that fact that, you know, thinking about that, that written, um, the written questions, because we all have our different processes and mm-hmm. it may be easier for some people who just want to think through the question. They're, they're a lot more analytical and they, they need to think that question through. And, and so in written form, it, it works a lot. I, um, I do really appreciate when <clears throat> folks come in and they're like, look, I've, I'm, I've written down some questions. <laughs> Is it okay? I'm like, yes, it's great that you wrote it down because, um, you know, you've really, you're self-advocating, you're, 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 you've prepared the questions, you've thought them through. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's a great way to, uh, a fantastic um, recommendation. Um, the other thing that I really like too is this like bring the buddy idea because uh, we've, we've heard this in the other podcast too with, with uh, other experts where people are saying, if you're, if you're shy yourself, think about like, what would you tell a friend if, if there was their, they were in that situation? And, and why not treat yourself as your own friend? <laughs> In other words, you are your best, your own best friend, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's absolutely true. But then there's people that are still afraid to do that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's why I always say, you know, especially when you're going to an appointment, especially if it's an important appointment where Mm -hmm. you're making decisions or something like that, you know, you should always bring a person that is going to be able to ask the questions that you might not feel comfortable asking or, you know, expressing your needs the way that you may not be able to. So, um, you know, write them down, bring your friend, email later, whatever the case, <laughs> just make sure that you keep asking questions. Cause that's how everyone continues to learn. You know, one of the things that, that sometimes happens to folks, um, and I, I really try to help folks through and, you know, we're here to ask difficult questions too, <laughs> to try to stump you too. But, uh, what, what about those, those questions that are about decision-making, for example, there's a lot of questions coming in and you're, what you're seeing as a provider is that it's, it's, there's so many questions that it's, it's really, people are struggling with the decisions because there's just so much information out there. And it's not even just about asking the questions. It's about synthesizing the information in a way that, that you can move, move to a decision. What are your thoughts about that? Um, so again, there are, there are some decision-making tools that can help with things like that. Because whenever I think about hard decisions, I think about, um, specific disease states. And a lot of times the tough decisions come when you're trying to either initiate a new treatment plan or change a treatment plan. Um, and you know, there have been, count like there's countless decision making tools out there aim has two one well couple but 
The two in particular that I think were, were extremely well done are the stage three and the stage four guides um, because they don't, they don't, it's not like a, a roadmap. It's these are the things that make this treatment better for you or worse for you, the pros and cons. You know, here's what the testing that should be done prior to your decision being made. Um, I know when we sit down and talk to patients in clinic, um, we try to make, um, and our advanced pr practice providers have been really good about this. My other partner in, in our clinic, we actually made a pro and con list for the stage mm. three guides. And so we said, okay, these are, you know, for immunotherapy, these are the pros and cons to that. For BRAF MEK inhibitor targeted therapy, these are the pros and cons for that treatment in an adjuvant setting. Because it's a big decision and patients never know what to do. And, and we what we don't want is for them to be like, whatever you say, because I'm not the one that is at home with you that has, you know, laundry and two kids to pick up and a job to try to go to. And so what the best, the best thing that I can ever recommend to a patient is when you're making a big decision, make a list, make mm -hmm. a list of all the things that are good about each decision and all the things that are bad about each decision. And if you don't know what those things are, ask someone, ask your doctor, ask your nurse, ask me, ask anyone, <laughs> but ask someone, you know, what are the benefits and risks of doing both of these things or each one of these things um, I have always found that to be extremely important one, because it helps you think through it, but two, because you can see it on paper and sometimes just seeing it written down makes a huge difference for making a decision. Well, I think I see a theme emerging, which is like writing that down. I love lists. That's how I've <laughs> like lived my best. life, uh, yeah. personally, but, uh, <laughs> lists are great. Um, the other thing that, uh, we're actually actively um, doing research on, I found so much power for, for patients is as a care plan to ask for a care plan mm -hmm. in writing, in writing, Yep. because, um, you could, there's so many different treatments out there. There's so many pros and cons. Sometimes it can get very confusing, which treatment happens first. Wait, how do I, what are the things I need to do to get to that treatment? And having a care plan often in writing can, can really help, um, someone understand uh, what's happening. Yeah. And not only that, but for later, you know, because every, we have p hundreds of patients that are, you know, they come to our appointment and again, they may or may not ask questions and then they go home mm -hmm. and then they're like, what did we talk about? Oh my mm -hmm. goodness. What did they say about this treatment? Was that every three weeks? Was that every four weeks? And so truly having a good set of expectations both from yourself and from your physician team, I think is an extremely important and useful tool. Um, because then you know, you know where you're going, you know where you've been. Um, That's something that I think could be extremely helpful for, for caregivers as well. I know that that's a tall order to start asking <laughs> physicians to make multiple care plans, but I think that all the information that you can obtain while you're in front of your care team is doing you the best service possible. You know, it's giving yourself all of the tools that you need that when you're not immediately with your team, you know what your your jobs are and you know what the expectations are and, and what the risks are and you're, you know what things to look for. And so the better educated that you can make yourself, the better this is all gonna go, all of it, mm -hmm. every single piece of your care. 
I love all your analogies and uh, you <laughs> use the word tools. And it's, I think about this as a toolbox, right? We're trying yeah. to build toolboxes for resiliency, for you know, information gathering, for decision making. And I think that's what we're talking about here is self-advocacy is about building a toolbox <laughs> of, um, to help you understand things, but also like give you that control that, you, you, that can help you get to, um, get to some answers and, and to help your wellness. Um, and that toolbox is different for everybody. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. completely different for everyone. But I think one of the underlying themes in everyone's toolbox is that is you mentioned that control. I think getting a diagnosis, especially a, a cancer diagnosis, really takes the wheels off the bus. You know, mm-hmm. you you are no longer driving your your school bus. And so I think you know the more things that you can put in your toolbox, whether it be I need, you know, you think about all the things you need. I need education about my diagnosis. I need caregiver support. I need behavioral health support. I need pain control. Whatever it is that you find that you need in your toolbox, you need to ask for. And like for me, when I think about self-advocacy, I think about making sure that your needs are met. And whatever those needs are, you need to make sure that they are met. However you need to do that, whether you need to bring a friend, make a list, whatever the case may be, you need to make sure that your toolbox has all the tools. And so the only way to get the tools is to ask for the tools. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Um, so what I learned today from from um, our session, I, I, these 30 minutes go by so quickly. So fast. <laughs> but I think we built a little bit of a toolbox today. We, we okay. talked about communication, how important that is to, to do um, the different members of the care team that you can connect with. Uh, the connected strength of having, you know, uh, the community around you, including the resources and in, in AIM, uh, things like Peer Connect and medical decision-making tools. We talked about how the role of different personalities and cultures can <laughs> impact advocacy, but building your own toolbox, whether it's writing, whether it's checklists, whether it's emails or, or, or things like that to, to see to everyone's different. Yep. Um, I guess my closing question is a question I would love because I don't see this a lot in, in on websites and things like that when in terms of questions that are recommended. But when I hear it from patients, I really love it. And the question I have to ask you is, what question did I not ask you yet? <laughs> that is really uh. important. Is there something I'm missing? Um, that see, I haven't Ray, you asked always you, yet? you just you just had to find <laughs> something that you know. Brick on forehead. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. so hmm, I think. See, there's this is where there's the awkward silence while my brain scans all of the information. I feel like you know asking the question of how do you how do you deal with a situation where you may not get along with your care team? Like, how do you navigate that? Because in your process and journey of self-advocacy, you may come across personalities that don't necessarily (laughs) mesh. Um, And one of the things that I think also goes in line with being your own self-advocate is to have the courage to say, this care relationship team isn't working for me. Um, Is there another option in this group? Um, And I think that patients are afraid to say that sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. because just like in regular relationships, um, not everyone gets along. You know, that's just life. That's the way that this works. And, and some physician teams do things very differently than others. And sometimes that is not exactly coherent or, you know, doesn't exactly mesh up with the way that you like to be cared for because everyone has their own baggage and their Mm -hmm. own personality. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that one of the things that, um, that is hard for a patient to do is to advocate for themselves in a situation where they don't feel comfortable. And so um, I just had a situation like this that went through the ask an expert line. And my advice to them was to approach the team and say, um, my needs are not being met by, by the team. And here are the things that I need from you. And if they cannot, if you guys cannot find a way to, to meet the needs that I need, then is there another outlet for me to use in your group? And that's going to be extremely hard. And it may not be a conversation that you can have in person, but I think one of the things that is extremely important is that you feel comfortable with the team that's taking care of you and you feel like you can ask questions and you feel like you can talk to them about decision-making things. And if you feel like you're in a situation where you cannot do those things, um, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to talk to your team about them. And maybe they don't realize they're doing it and they may not be aware of the fact that they're not providing you with the things that you need for your toolbox. And so sometimes just having the conversation will change things entirely. And sometimes they won't, and you will be able to then hopefully get with another provider that can meet those needs. Because um, what I've found is that patients that feel comfortable with their care team and the way that things are going are more open to asking questions and learning about their disease and and really participating actively in their treatment plan. So um, if there was something that you didn't ask me and it's the most difficult <laughs> thing to deal with, I would say that's probably the thing that mm -hmm. I would bring up. To know that the communication is a two-way street, no matter how difficult it can feel and how difficult the question is. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't feel like you're breaking up with your yeah. team. It's just that you need to feel comfortable knowing that, you know, it's okay if you don't, I don't want to say don't like your team, but if you don't like your team, there are other options out there. So, you know, th there are resources to try to get through that. That's great. Thank you so much, Melissa, for helping build my self-advocacy toolbox. I, I learned so much today and um, that it'll help me. And I hope our listeners today um, learned something as well. So I can't Thanks, wait Ray. to connect with you again soon. I know. I can't wait for our next, <laughs> our next online date. <laughs> Sounds good. For more information on this topic, please visit aimandmelanoma.org. If this podcast was useful, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple, Google Play, or Spotify. This podcast offers insight into the world of melanoma care, covering a range of educational, inspirational, and scientific content. You can find all shows, including this one, at aimatmelanoma.org. Aim at Melanoma is a global foundation dedicated to finding more effective treatments and ultimately the cure for melanoma 